The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. You know, it's it's been really the theme of the midterm elections since, I don't know, I guess since the beginning of the summer, uh, reproductive rights, abortion politics. And there is, you know, there's kind of a, there's been a, there's a consensus for the last couple months that, uh, you know, we, we don't know the outcome of, of, the, of the election, but there's no question that when the Dobbs decision was released in, I guess it was, was it late? late June, um, but was obviously previewed about six weeks earlier when that when basically the same opinion was uh, leaked in early May, that the politics of abortion fundamentally redirected the trajectory of this year's election. There's no question about that. What the final result is, that's still up for debate. We don't know. But there's no question about that. So yesterday, or actually, I guess, uh, uh, you know, night before yesterday, so Monday night, Everyone, and maybe I won't speak for other people myself, I was sort of dumbfounded when I heard that Lindsey Graham was going to introduce a bill to have a national abortion ban on abortions after 15 weeks. Now, that's basically what was sort of like wild and controversial from Mississippi last year. Right. That's that's the bill that that is the standard that uh, brought down Roe v. Wade. Right. So that was considered like really draconian and blah, 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 blah. And again, there's been this sort of it's just kind of widely assumed. Everybody's kind of taken for granted that Republicans are facing a big backlash over Dobbs. People are upset. You know, you you look at polls and they show usually at least 60 percent of the population um, supports Roe, doesn't want to, you know, didn't want to see Roe overturned. Often for for Roe overturned, it's even higher. It gets up to like 70%. There's different ways you you ask the question. If you say like, are you pro-choice? Now you're often getting in the mid 50s, higher 50s on that question, which which is much higher than it was even a few years ago. Question changes a little if you say, you know, do you support overturning Roe? It goes higher. But in any case, it's, it's between like, it's overwhelmingly unpopular, Dobbs, depending on how exactly you look at it. And, and Republicans are doing their best to run away from it. I mean, there's only so much they can run. It's their issue. They did it. 
right? I mean, you kind of like you're 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 standing over the body with the knife, right? You can, there's only so much you can do. But even even politicians who were like hardcore anti-abortion, you know, uh, supporting fetal personhood laws. Even you've seen some of them kind of take down the parts of their site that talk about abortion, which is, which is, you know, I said like you can only do so much. Well, that's actually even more than you can do, right? Because it just it 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 just attracts attention. Like what? Like is that like that's 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 done? You've you've uh, you've 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 changed your mind. So and 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 what Democrats are trying to do now, and to me, they're trying to do it because it's true. They're trying to say. Don't think it stops here. The next time that Republicans are in control of the federal government, they will move on from allowing states to ban abortions or to ban it nationally. Maybe the Supreme Court will get in on the act and ban abortion through some sort of, you know, there it's uh, on the margins now, but the idea that you kind of decide judicially that a fetus is a life and and, and, you know, under the 14th Amendment, you can't abort it. Things move very quickly these days from like kind of fringe bizarre ideas to like law of the land. So so Democrats, I think both because it is true, but also because there are obvious political advantages, want to say, you got to keep us in control of the Senate, control the Congress, because, you know, you in California, you in in New York, uh, you in Pennsylvania and Washington State and Illinois, you know, you think none of this applies to you. Well, in fact, they're going to ban it nationwide. So Republicans don't want to kind of don't want to talk about that. Oh, we're never going to do that or just whatever. So like, what is Lindsey Graham coming forward and say, hey, you know what? I want to kind of diffuse this issue that has gotten everyone. I'm going to diffuse it by introducing a national abortion ban. Now, it's true that it's not an absolute ban from like day one. It's 15 weeks. And I think it's, it's uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the forever com- uh, perplexities of the abortion debate is that, I don't want to say most people because there's, different, there's pretty big differences between people, right? Um, maybe it's most men, but the public debates about abortion are often carried on with very little grounding in in what actually happens with abortion. Like something like 90 or 95% of abortions happen within the thir- first 13 weeks. Overwhelmingly, they're very early for obvious reasons. You know, if you, if you have an unplanned pregnancy and you don't want to be pregnant, it takes you a certain amount of time to find out you're pregnant, you know, can depend. And then maybe you need, you know, you don't need 10 weeks, whatever. It, it, it happens, overwhelmingly happens early. Okay. Um, except for the cases that there are certain, all sorts of reasons. And again, it's like maybe 5% that are after that uh, date. And we all know the reasons why those happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So why is he doing this? And, and, and um, as, as this was announced, you know, kind of previewed Monday night, uh, People were kind of like, ah, this is what's, you know, what's the 11 dimensional chess? What does Lindsey Grant have up his, have up his sleeve? What is Mitch McConnell? What, 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 what diabolical plan is he about to uh, flip the abortion politics on Democrats and change everything? Now, one thing that people thought, and I think is true as far as it goes, is that for years, and it's one of the ways that Republicans sort of 
fooled themselves into thinking that it's a pro-life country, it's the country's divided, you know, 50-50 on abortion, was to say, to, to not talk about abortions where the overwhelming majority, almost all of them happen, but to get into these hypotheticals often tendentiously described like, okay, yeah, maybe you get an abortion like right when you find it, but what are the, what about the evil women who like they're two weeks away from getting birth and they get a great plane fare to Hawaii and suddenly they're having an abortion. We can all agree that that's not right. Late-term abortion, to kind of put it there. And again, since abortion public debates are seldom carried out with like a real grounding of why things happen. Uh, but that is something when you talk about partial birth abortion and late term abortion, that's where the public gets a lot more squeamish and a lot more, eh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that. Or maybe if you're doing that, maybe you're just a frivolous woman who's having an abortion for no reason or something like that. It's worked for them politically. That's why we hear again, partial birth abortion, this late term, blah, 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 blah. So that was the, maybe the thinking about the diabolical plan um, that they're going to re they're going to say, okay, well, we're not, we're not saying you can't, you know, the vast majority, we're just, we're just going to ban the kind of the really, really bad stuff late in the pregnancy. And again, that's worked for them in the past. I think in some ways the, the politics, the public politics of abortion have changed just dramatically in 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 the sense that I don't think it will work the same way anymore because it worked one way when it was all hypothetical like sure you can talk about banning this or banning that but the the supreme court has it bottled up so you, you can't really do anything so republicans could just sort of play the politics of it when it was all theoretical now it's not theoretical there are large portions certainly most of the territory of the United States, if not the people, abortion's already banned. It's already done, right? Because of because of uh, Dobbs, so it's it's very real. But in any case, it didn't even really fit that model because first of all, it's fifteen weeks, which uh, Kate and I were 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 just talking about. That's what that Mississippi bill that brought down Roe did a fifty, you know, a ban at. At, at 15 weeks. So it's not really, it's not really late term abortion by e even, even in the tendentious ways that Republicans have talked about it in the past. It's really early. The second thing is it's not like setting some national standard. It's not like they're coming in and saying, oh, okay, hey, states got out of hand. They were banning abortion. That's not allowed that we can't, you know, that's not okay. We're just going to kind of say you can have your abortions, uh, but not after 15 weeks. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying it remains banned in all red states with, you know, Kansas is like an exception, maybe one or two others. And this just partially bans it in, uh, in blue states. So it's really a blue state ban. Um, and then the third thing is you can talk about 15 or this or that or the other, but there's some salient words, national abortion ban national abortion ban. Whatever details you want to fit into that, that is going to the next level. Is it going to be left to the states? Well, in fact, it will not be left to the states because only like a month or two after the fact, Republicans are already wanting to ban it nationwide. Yes, they'll, they'll allow it in some circumstances, blah, 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 blah. So everybody's saying like, what, what, is, the, what is the secret diabolical plan? Because clearly Republicans are doing it. So there must be a secret diabolical plan. Well, 
the next by the next day, it was sort of clear that all of well, many of um, Graham's colleagues were like, "Dude, what the fuck are you doing? Are you insane? We're we're trying to get get out of under this backlash against Dobbs." We want to talk about inflation. We want to talk about Sleepy Joe and all that kind of stuff. You're you're like putting abortion even more at the center stage. So so it was clear that at least um, at least the players in the in the Republican uh, Senate caucus who care a lot about being in the leadership and care a lot about uh, winning elections were sort of like you got to be kidding. Like, who put you up to this? What is going on? Um, I did notice just before um, just before we started recording, uh, this guy, Bud, whose name escapes me, I'm sure I'm sure Kate will know it. The, the Republican uh, candidate in for Senate in North Carolina, he is co-sponsoring it in the House. I think I have this right. He's now in the house. He's running. He's he's looking for the promotion up to the Senate. He wants to co-sponsor Graham's uh, thing in the house. And a lot of Democrats are like, yeah, dude, by all means, you want I co-sponsor it right now. Let's let's vote. And you know, one thing and we're going to talk about this is it's this it's this very basic question now. Chuck Schumer can schedule the vote. And why not? Why not? The Republicans who aren't complete idiots do not want to vote on this right now. Um, and that something like that may even happen uh, in the House. So anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a few other issues that are happening in the news. But before um, I introduce my co-host, let me remind you that uh, Josh Marshall Podcast brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. If you can't handle the heat, get back to the kitchen. Because with a glass of Grady's New Orleans-style cold brew in your hand, you'll be ready to tackle whatever sweaty situations pop up this summer. If your previous attempts at cold brewing were messy, bitter, or bland, don't worry. Grady's makes cold brewing consistent, easy, and mess-free. Their beanbag cold brew kit provides everything you need to make the perfect cup of iced coffee at home. And there's no need to buy any special coffee gadgets. You can brew right inside Grady's store and pour pouch and enjoy tasty iced coffee all summer long. Summer-proof your fridge today at Grady'sColdBrew.com. You just use uh, promo code TPM. That great acronym that is the 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 emblem of our organization. Use the promo code TPM to save twenty five percent off at Grady'sColdBrew.com. Okay, co-host Kate Riga, uh, you I don't know if you were physically up at the hill yesterday after this happened, but you were talking to people and following this. So what's the deal? What happened? What 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 was Graham thinking? And what what were his colleagues thinking after they heard what he was doing? Yeah, so I think to start, I want to do just a bit of a fact check, a ginormous fact check, because for anyone who watched the Graham presser yesterday or kind of saw snippets of it, it was just like a perfect encapsulation of all of the lies that the anti-abortion movement has been kind of pumping out for years, almost with kind of no retribution, because a lot of mainstream journalism outlets are so hell-bent on not, quote, choosing sides on the abortion debate that so much of this just goes completely unchecked and has like made its way into the mind of all kinds of people, even people who are not really diehards on the abortion thing. So to start with, this bill is called the, quote, Protecting Pain-Capable Unborn Children from the Late-Term Abortions Act. Okay. It's almost impressive that in one phrase, he managed to kind of cram so much stuff that isn't true. But first, 
uh, the pain capable piece, this is a huge thing in abortion circles. Um, and it makes sense, right? It has emotional resonance. The idea that if you are aborting an embryo or a fetus, it can feel it and it can feel pain. So they use that a lot. The scientific consensus is that fetuses cannot feel pain until the third semester. Evidence seems to suggest quite late in the third semester. And this is uh, trimester rather. And this is just due to you need to build up the structures that enable you to feel pain and enable your body to communicate that to your brain. And that takes a while. So without a doubt, at 15 weeks, a fetus cannot feel pain. That's just not true. Then it says late-term abortions, which you got into a little bit in the intro, Josh, but late-term abortion is not a medical term. That is straight from the anti-abortion movement. In, in medical terms, late term in the pregnancy refers to after 40 weeks of pregnancy. That's used to describe births that kind of come after the average of when most women are giving birth. Like so, basically after the due date. Exactly. So there's no such thing as a late-term abortion. And if there was, 15 weeks is fairly early in the second trimester. So it's not even late in terms of, you know, the progress of a pregnancy. Yeah, I mean, just just in terms of descriptive math, there's three trimesters. Maybe by, again, in some non-medical sense, you could say the third trimester is late because it's not first and second, it's third. But certainly mm -hmm. 15 weeks cannot be late just exactly. by, any, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, and as you say, per CDC data for 2019, which is the last we have of the big abortion survey data, 93% of abortions happen 13 weeks or under. So another big part of this press briefing was Graham just kept being like thousands and thousands and thousands of abortions happen. You know, it's just this is an anomaly. Having an abortion at this point is an anomaly. And most of them that are late for reasons that are kind of unrelated to fetal anom anomalies or something else kind of going medically wrong is due to a lack of sex education. You see this a lot with, you know, especially younger women um, and state, uh, you know, state enforced restrictions that make it harder to get an abortion that entail travel and overbooked clinics because a lot of them have been shuttered. So, you know, Graham was kind of standing there with this phalanx of you know, quote unquote, pro-life, anti-abortion women around him kind of being like, you know, and this isn't all we want, but this is a compromise. This is reasonable. And there was a lot of the, this is just bringing us into the standard that our European brothers and sisters live by, which again, simply not true because with the exception of a, a country like Poland, which is like a big outlier, most European countries, abortion is way more accessible. Usually it's subsidized. And even though there are gestational bans in some countries, they have much more liberal exceptions like, you know, a mother not having or the woman not having uh, financial means to raise the child or mental health, all the kind of stuff that by comparison, U.S. bans are do not have and are much more draconian. So it's just not, you know, it's totally an apples and oranges situation. My understanding, you know, one of the one of the arguments that people make who who push back against the argument that that he's making is that, you know, in, in huge amounts of the country, there's no there's no there's no uh, no one is providing abortions in driving distance. And by driving distance, I mean normal driving distance, like an hour, something like that. I don't mean like driving 10 hours or sometimes not even that. So so that adds, so the point being, if it's the kind of thing where almost literally you could go to the local WebMD down the street, that the, the, the need to not have these cutoffs is less great. Anyway, it's, it's a, it, it's a, 
it's a point we've dealt with. Right. I mean, and and as you also said, you know, this it should if this bill passed, it wouldn't supersede state laws, which means that any state that wanted to ban abortion still could. So as you say, this would largely just be an imposition on blue states whose inhabitants don't want to have abortion restrictions. Um, so the whole thing, the just, you know, the framing of it as this middle of the road, everyone can agree, compromise, is just bullshit to begin with, because this isn't a moderate abortion policy. And I guarantee if someone brought up, you know, what the French have and we're like, let's have this here as he professes to want, Republicans would be like, whoa, 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 that's way too liberal, you know? So that's, you know, none of this is kind of forthcoming. They were just spewing lies left, right and sideways. I mean, provable lies. And just it, it boggles me because you watch this press conference and no one asks them about it. Like no one fact checks it, you know, but we've entered this weird zone on abortion where the intent to always be quote unquote neutral and to report neutrally on the controversial question of abortion means that so many journalists now just feel like they can't fact check the blatantly fat, false things that the anti-abortion movement says to make abortion seem, you know, more barbaric or, or more harmful for women and more of an outlier in the in the world. Well, the the other thing, I mean, it's it's you know, kind of what amounts to compromise is always highly subjective. But a few weeks ago, the grand compromise was we're going to leave it to the states, right? Massachusetts has one political culture. They want one thing. Oklahoma has another. Everyone can be happy. Now, we know that there's, turns out to be a little more complicated than that on, on a number of grounds. But like, I thought that was the, 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 the grand compromise and, the, and the, the moderate middle ground. Now, the moderate middle ground is the states that want to ban abortion can ban abortion. And the states that want to have abortion, the federal government bans it for them. Like oh, okay, Fair that to everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that doesn't. I, I miss something. So, um, and it's funny, you know. Again, in that in that in that half a dozen hours, when everybody's trying to figure out what the what the what the secret plan was, I saw some people saying, "Well, what they're going to probably do is, is say now that kind of like abortion is is legal across the country." Um, up until fifteen weeks, and then after, it's not. And I, I said to some of these people, like, "What country do you live in?" Do you, do you think that, that that there is any way that that the Republican Party could like, oh, we've been working for 50 years to get Dobbs. But now that we've fallen three points on the congressional generic ballot, we are now going to make it permanently legal to have abortions up to 15. I mean, are you kidding? So, of course exactly. not. It's just, yeah. But, but why? Mean, so why do we, here's the thing, though. Why do we think he did this? I mean, just, you know, real quick before we get into the political side, which is super fascinating and a rich text, I think, is just that we've said this on the show before, but it's just you have to keep it in your mind when you're thinking about abortion, which is there is a small, very vocal minority in the Republican Party that deeply, deeply believes that abortion is murder, that it is a heinous act, that it is, you know, killing the most innocent of society. And the party is very beholden to that minority of people. And the idea that that minority of people would be like, well, there are fewer murders now. So, you know, job well done. I mean, that's where the act, that's where the activism comes from. So you, this idea of like, well, they'll settle for a compromise. I mean, these don't people, these people don't see this as an issue can compromise on. That's why it, for, you know, a kind of an astonishingly large number of people is their single issue. It's what they base their entire 
entire political identity on. So yeah, the idea of like stopping at 15 weeks versus the reality, which is going to be get rid of abortion altogether, and then we can move on to birth control, right? Like that's the much more realistic state of affairs. And it's also, I mean, there's... It's always a question of what people really believe that you can, to to a certain degree, infer from their actions. And that is, I mean, there are, it is, I think, in fact, it is is actually only a minority of even pro-life voters. If you really believe that every abortion is taking a small version of a baby, but a baby in every meaningful sense and killing it, and it's happening, it's happening every day, not, not everywhere in the country, but you know, it's, it's happening and it's, it, you know, that's a hair on fire thing if you believe that. And it's even the kind of thing where, where some people say like, oh, it's, it's killing, but well, you know, incest, rape, if you really believe it is killing, if fully equal to taking a young child and just like cutting its head off, even things like, you know, but you, but some people uh, believe that. And as you say, that is kind of the Republican party is in hock to that world. And obviously you've got lots of people who just don't like it, mm-hmm. think it's it's not killing, but it's wrong, or, you know, empowers the sluts. Exactly. If you have abortions, right? I mean, it's, it's I mean, all the these... huge unspoken part of this is yes. it gives you license <laughs> exactly. to police and women's sexuality. Yes. And 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 these things all flow together. Um, but in any case, there is simply no way that that this is like the the you know you've been uh the, the the golden prize after half a century of of activism um and that's why i think you know for lots of why the right is relatively low energy now on this issue they won they won yeah there's more more stuff they want to do but man take a breather even working so hard, you know, they think they won and then and and they won in a way that it cannot be taken back. Right. Well, I mean, and look at the kind of quote unquote compromise, the way that the party was already moderating itself was this idea of, like you say, leave it to the states. That's the democratic way to do it, isn't it? You know, let's let's not talk about the states that are gerrymandered past the point of no return, but that's the way to do it. Put the power back in the people's hands. We saw that that was not really assuaging the situation for Republicans. I mean, we don't have a ton of data points in Stobbs, but we've got Kansas. We've got a handful of special elections in bellwether districts where the Democrats ran hard on abortion. I mean, we have early signifiers that the Democratic base is very energized in a way that they weren't pre-Dobbs, right? So we already know that the kind of leave it to the states thing was not really a perfect band-aid for this situation. And then out comes Lindsey Graham sauntering out saying, pulling the rug out from under that, saying that wasn't true. We actually are going to do a national abortion ban. And, you know, you and I have been talking about this offline. We've been kind of puzzling it out to see how did he misjudge this so badly? Like, was it just a situation where he thought the 15-week would get more attention than the national abortion ban part of the phrase. I mean, if that is the case, then he's off his rocker because a through line in the abortion debate since the beginning of time has been for for how many people give birth in this country, people have absolutely no freaking idea what like the weak structure, what the trimester structure indicates. People just don't know. So the fact that 
you know, maybe he thought 15 weeks would be this really moderating force. Like you can ask anyone off the street. And I'm telling you, people would have an appallingly lack, an appalling lack of information about what 15 weeks even means in the grand scheme of a pregnancy. No, it's, it, it is, you know, I think a certain percentage of people would even struggle to say how many months that is, right? Let alone, let alone like a pregnancy. The funny, the other weird thing is, and again, I just can't make sense of it. I guess he had actually introduced a version of this bill in the last couple Congresses, but people introduce all sorts of stuff as just a kind of, you know, there's some group that wants, you know, some some activist group that wants it and they kind of, you know, just like putting like a stamp on something. It's not a hard thing to do, but like, there's no, I have been watching Lindsey Graham for 25 years in office. Abortion's not his issue. I'm not saying he's pro-life, but you know, his issues are like judges, foreign policy is a big issue for him. Talking on meet the press is a big issue for him, but like, he's not like a big abortion dude. So I even want like, there are a lot of other people in Congress in the Senate, who I would have said, oh, they're going to go to this guy or this guy would do it or something like that. And the other thing is, if like, um, you know, if one of those kind of like rando senators who represent nine people from like Wyoming or Idaho or something like that, that would be one thing. Or if you had like even like a Ted Cruz, who who everybody knows who Ted, you know, everybody who's who's even loosely following politics knows who Ted Cruz is, then people could say, all right, whatever, you know, Ted Cruz always doing something stupid, blah, 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 blah. There are few people who are more associated with the leadership of the Republican Party in D.C., in the Senate, than Lindsey Graham. Like after like Mitch McConnell, even though he's not part of the leadership. And some of that is just because he's got this kind of, you know, he's he's Joe meet the press. He's all, you know, he's, he's just constantly present in the press. Um, he... It just he's Lindsey Graham that, that, that when he says that Democrats can now say, oh, man, Republicans now in now pushing for a national abortion ban. And and even though that at least the leadership has kind of like, dude, knock it the fuck off, that that's the Republican Party. He speaks for the Republican Party. He really does um, in a way that, again, some rando in the Senate you would have just been saying like, okay, you're saying that, but just they can't help but one one random dude does. I mean, that's a weird part of it because not that Graham is not self-aggrandizing and he, you know, like when I was at the Gadanji Brown Jackson hearings, he was one of those up with Cruz and Holly who used his minutes to kind of throw a tantrum and, and do a little, everyone watch me, I'm going to get a clip out of this thing. You know, it's not like that's beyond him. But I think what's weird about this in line with what you're saying is that he's kind of a get along guy. Like, I think he likes this. I like, he likes the camaraderie of the Senate. I think he likes kind of being pals with people. And so the fact that, like you said, this is such a Ted Cruz move to like do something by yourself and be like, well, that's my conviction. That's my earnest conviction. You know, deal with it. Like that's just not Graham to kind of go out on the, the branch by himself and have Mitch McConnell be pissed at him afterwards. And to also do a move like this, that's so lacking in calculation, re the kind of general party's positioning on this issue. It just seems so strange that it came from him, as you say, instead of maybe a, a Cruz or a Holly, who's kind of me above everyone, you know, and, and willing to be performative to that end, or someone like, I don't know, a James Lankford who like 
has been near tears on the floor of the Senate with like blown up pictures of stock babies talking about this. And Graham just doesn't really fit either of those camps very not neatly. Not at all. Not at all. And he's also just in a more gen- in this you you alluded to this. I cannot think of the last time that the leadership in the Senate wants one thing and Graham's like, "Yeah, fuck it, man. I'm 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 carrying this ball and if it blows up things for you, that's just too bad because I believe this strong. No way. No way. He's a he's a he's tight with the leadership. He's again, even though he's not formally it's it's McConnell and Cornyn and I don't even remember. I guess Thune is the Thune, whip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he's a leadership guy. He's a he's a team player with the leadership. Again, he is in essence part of the leadership, basically. So yeah, inexplicable on every front. And the backlash or I guess rather the Democrats kind of making hay of it just started immediately. Like, you know, I saw in particular Fetterman had an email blast out about the the new national abortion ban, like within hours, if not minutes of it coming out. Um, Maggie Hassan has her first kind of general election ad out now that we know who her opponent is going to be. And that was, you know, Don Balduke will be a yes on the national abortion ban. I mean, it's just like <laughs> immediate. It's just a gift. I mean, he ended his press conference by saying, you know, when we win the House and the Senate, we're absolutely going to pass this bill. And it's like, you don't even have to hire an ad company. Chop, chop. There's your ad. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it really is inexplicable. And again, I, it is true. When the Republicans are in power again, they are going to do this. That's not hyperbole. They are going to do it. However, when you are trying to inject that into this election cycle, you will have uh, commentators and reporters with some element of accuracy saying, look, it's not going to happen. You know, they could win in a massive landslide. Joe Biden is still president. He's going to veto it. So there's no way this is anything like this is going to happen until 2025. And for it to happen, they've got to win both chambers. They have to win the pre- the presidency and they have to have all of their majorities lined up, but, but, you know, for like jumping off Niagara Falls, basically. Since, and they have since, to have, what, at least 60 seats in the Senate. Yeah, well, you know. Unless it, they got rid of the filibuster. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of these things where, you know, everybody talks about whenever whenever McConnell wants, he'll he'll torch the filibuster, and he will. But this is the one case where I'm, I, th- I think he might well say like, hey, I'm a filibuster man. I can't, I'd love to be These passing rules, your national abortion. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so, so, you know, so, so they can say like, hey, it's not, it's not coming in the next Congress. It's at least the Congress after that. But here you have Lindsey Graham, as you said, he cut the ad just because he loves Democrats so much. If we win, if we win the House and the Senate, we're passing the national abortion ban. Like, okay, dude, like, let's just like, Every Democrat just runs that. I mean, it's 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 sort of like we've been trying so hard to get these idiot Senate Democrats to to get off to 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 you know not be idiots and do this forty eight senator pledge, which they have still haven't done yet. Like what the fuck? It's so stupid. It's such a missed opportunity. But Lindsey Graham apparently trying to help, <laughs> trying to do something similar from the other side, right? But that is the that is the clarifying thing that. Everybody should realize there will be national abortion legislation. It's just a question of who does it. 
Right. I mean, so that is just the crux of the weirdest thing about this. Like, I know people quibble with the term messaging bill, but that's what this is. Right now, for the next few years, it's a messaging bill. There's no way that it's going to pass while Joe Biden is president, at the very least, you know? So it's just that you decide to unveil this particular messaging ban, what, a month and a half out from the midterms, when now you know you've got colleagues who are running in states where they can't endorse a complete abortion ban, you know, thinking like Ron Johnson for one. And so it's just kind of a heaping plate of let me screw over everyone in my party to no discernible gain for myself, except for, I guess, having some anti-abortion activists like, like him, which they... I would assume already did. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's really, um, it's inexplicable. So another thing we wanted to talk about is that there's been kind of a flurry of stories that are being panic shared around, you know, left-leaning Twitter that basically all say, watch out these great polls that are coming out for Democrats and the key Senate races. We're talking, you know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, that, these are the same areas that have been overly optimistic for Democratic chances a lot in recent years, you know, 2016, 2020, particularly. Uh, 2018 is kind of the outlier, which which we'll get into. But all the stories have been like, you know, be wary, because if the pollsters haven't fixed these this recurring issue, then it very well could be happening again right now. And then I saw the New York Times did this, kind of readjusted it, took the averages as they are, did another column of like incorporating the biases from 2020 polls. And then this is how things really look right now. And I don't know how it struck you, Josh, but to me, when I saw that final column with the adjustment for the old biases, I was kind of like, that kind of looks more right to me or more where I would guess that these races are because we've been seeing some like, you know, big Democratic, you know, plus fives in like Ohio, which I know Tim Ryan's a good candidate, but this is Ohio we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many different moving parts to this. And, and, um, I think we have to start with the fact that there is, there has been a recurrent pattern basically during the Trump era going back in basically going back to 2016 2016 18 20 in which polls have in in general slightly underestimated republican strength in general in certain states it's been more than slight it's been significant and the states where it has been the greatest are generally kind of midwestern rust belt states and the general assumption there is, is, you know, that's where you have, you know, kind of a lot of white working class voters that are sort of the Trump base. And you're missing, you're kind of, you're, you're for some reason, you're missing the Trump base. And that's why this is happening. Now, another, another aspect of that is that um, we kind of take it for granted today that education levels are a central demographic dividing line in our politics didn't always used to be the case at all, right? And that perhaps education levels, that polling has been 
less able to get to people with less educational attainment than people with more educational attainment. But since that wasn't a big dividing line in the old days, it kind of didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't skew the polls. So that is a thing. And that is, that has happened. Um, and I think it is something that Democrats really need to take seriously. And that is why when I see averages that have like, you know, uh, uh, Tim Ryan, who I love, who I think is the perfect candidate uh, for Ohio right now for the Democrats, and I think has a real chance to win. When I see an, a poll average that has him like two percentage points up, I basically totally discount that. Like that is, I consider that in a state like Ohio, um, I really assume that a Republican is going to overperform uh, an average of that of that magnitude. And another thing about about that race is that both candidates have been relatively low, and that 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 tells me something different. Um, if you have two candidates, if you have the two candidates, and they're both like in the low forties. But Tim Ryan is up by a couple points. Well, that leaves a lot of people out there undecided. And it's a Republican state. It increasingly is a Republican state. So that's plenty of room for that partisan muscle memory to kind of kick in at, at the last minute. Now, um, other states that have been like that, Wisconsin has been like that a lot. Pennsylvania has been like that a lot. Michigan has been like that a lot. So now, on the other hand, on the other hand, um, there are states like Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, mm-hmm. where where Democrats have have overperformed the polls with some consistency. Not always, but it's not it's not the same everywhere. Um, and in the Senate, obviously, it, that, those kind of things make make a big difference. Now, there are um, take Pennsylvania, John Fetterman and uh, Mehmet Oz. Fetterman is way up, way up. I think he's up more than enough that even if there's a skew, he's still going to win. So I'm pretty confident there. Um, I think there's another Wisconsin poll coming out, uh, Barnes versus Johnson. Uh, We'll see what that one was. There was one like a few weeks ago that had him up like seven points over, over Ron Johnson. You know, Wisconsin has just been like a killing field for democratic dreams in recent, you know, recent cycles. And the one thing that the sort of the the smart poll skeptics, I don't mean polls in general, but the ones who make these arguments point out is that, you know, Joe Biden won Wisconsin, but not by nearly as much as the poll said he would. He just squeaked by, whereas I think the poll averages had him winning by, a you know, a decent margin. Um, so this is real. It's also it's also not the case though that every cycle is the same. Things change. There was you know um, uh, a number of years ago it was Democrats that were fairly consistently being underestimated. You know not by time by 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 small but significant amounts. We also have this this run of special elections. You know most most special most elections before November are primaries. We have a few special elections that are partisan elections. And Democrats have consistently, I think in all of those, overperformed. Overperformed Biden, overperformed the polls. So that's different. That at least gives you a sense, okay, something's different this cycle. The, the, the Democrats are actually overperforming the polls. Now, the contrary argument is these are very low turnout 
races in sort of random parts of the country. Um, a low turnout election, arguably. Um, Democrats' motivation advantage is going to show up. A lot of kind of, you know, a lot of uh, white people with, you know, college degrees and master's degrees and JDs, you know, really spun up about, about Dobbs and they're all showing up. So there are contrary reasons, but there's also reasons to think maybe it's not going to be a replay. And then as you, as you said, Kate, it's 2018. That's the actual midterm, right? So that's kind of an apples to apples. And as again, these skeptics point out, there, the skew was there too in 2018, but it wasn't nearly as much. It was not nearly as much. Um, it's Democrats should definitely keep it in mind. I don't know what else, you know, how else to put it. It's funny because I, I did kind of a big story on this um, post 2018 on just like what's going on with the polls, you know, and, and talk to some, you know, like G. Elliot Morris, just kind of some of those guys. And it, the theories were really interesting, you know, because you had after 2018, a lot of people were thinking that this kind of only happens when Trump's on the ballot. This like weird polling miss where, you know, they, they call it the, the silent Trump voter is like missed. And then there are all these flurry of explanations that maybe these people just have very low institutional trust. So they're not going to talk to a pollster and they're not going to stay on the phone. Whereas Democrats who, you know, lean less in that direction might be more willing to talk. And as you say, education was a big thing that education had not been weighted that heavily before it became such the selector of the two parties. And then when we entered pandemic time, there started being thinking that, well, Democrats tend to be more cautious. They're sitting at home where they can answer calls from pollsters and, and Republicans are out, you know, being maskless. And so we had just this flurry of theories. And I really still don't think I mean, based on these pieces that, that we read before the, the pod, you know, no one really kind of said, well, here's the thing that is the reason that it keeps making the polls screwy. And that's why people should be worried. The thesis of them was just, these are the same states that have been wrong a lot recently. So Democrats should not be feeling kind of too high on themselves based on what we've seen before. Yeah. And, and I think stated as such, yeah, yeah. We should, we should, we, Democrats should be cautious, you know, and, and, and you, you always want to sort of assume you're running behind. And um, it's, you know, the, the best argument against this sort of chronic polling failure theory is the, like, what do you got? A, a data set of three. That's not a lot, right? And you did have when Trump was not on the ballot, it changed significantly. Um, you mentioned the pandemic. Obviously, that could be affecting the polling. It could also be affecting the voting, right? Um, you know, so we it's um, in the in isolation, a massive pandemic. Very hard to know what you know. How did all the different things that kind of upended? What did uh, you know in any in any normal case where you had a lot of data, you'd throw out 2020 because it's so weird. It's so, so weird. Um, so who knows? It's, but it, you know, but look, it's happened a few times. You can't, you can't just say like, oh, it happened and it was just a fluke. Well, it's, it seems a little more than a fluke, but I will say again, one other point, um, Democrats outdid the polls in Georgia in 2020. 
they, I believe, outdid the polls two of those cycles in Arizona. So even though a lot of these key races are in those kind of Democrat heartbreak states, not all of them, not all of them. So hard to know. Yeah, it is funny. And watch me do this segue, which is that, you know, as I've been writing about these races and using kind of what scant polling there are in the states or there is in the states, it's just it's not good. And we're, you know, especially primary polling is like notoriously even worse because limited money, right? So why would you kind of survey the field before you're at the the main event? So we have very few of them. And it's at a time where lots and lots of people are not paying attention yet and don't know the candidates well yet. And there haven't been kind of barrages of TV and online ad assaults yet. You mean in those in those uh, special elections? The, Both the, the special elections yeah. and kind of even the banner races just in their primary phases. Because at first I was thinking, you know, the Alaska polls, which were just the unholy trinity of Alaska is impossible to poll in general. This is a special election, so there's hardly any of it happening. And they're using a new voting system, ranked choice for the first time. So, But it's funny because those all kind of showed that uh, Palin didn't really have a shot, that the other Republican baggage was probably going to beat her. And that ended up not at all being the case. But and here's my segue. They also showed Don Balduke doubling Chuck Morse in New Hampshire, who were competing for the Republican Senate nomination there. And ballots are still being counted. I don't think AP has still even called the race, but it was rather close. Balduke won. Um, Morse has already conceded. But I have looked from what polls were done, which were, I would say, like three or four kind of towards the tail end before the election. I was it was going to be a landslide. And, and it wasn't. That was not the case. I, networks have still not called it. What like roughly what's the what's the percentage now? When I checked this morning, it was like within two points of each other. Oh, I didn't realize it was that. I didn't realize it was that, uh, you know, I think, I think what happened is, you know, sometimes uh, when the polls close, they'll show results and it'll be like, you know, of one precinct. So it's a hundred votes. Right. And I think when <laughs> yeah. I saw that, I knew what the polls predicted. And then when I saw that, it was Balduke, like, you know, 55% and the next guy, 20%. And I know that does, but that kind of stuck in my mind. So I didn't, I didn't, um, and I knew he won because I saw the reports that he, you know, seems like he's won, but I didn't realize it was that it was that close. Yeah. So one thing I will say about the special elections, you know, a lot of these special elections weren't even polled at all because, you know, th- there's no, there's no, it's not in anybody's, no one really cares or has an interest in, in, in running the poll. Um, but the thing that is, that has jumped out to people is that these candidates are running ahead of Biden, that being a key thing. So there's what, you know, kind of the, you think about that's the sort of, that is the actual Democratic Party, the people who turn out to show up for the, you know, for the president, for the top of the ticket. And if that percentage is getting better in the midterm, well, you look at that as a, as a, as a campaign analyst and you say, okay, that's very different from what we'd expect. Right. You expect you're going to get a drop off. So mm-hmm. oh, again, yeah. quick, low turnout, blah, you know. Yeah. Quick update here. Uh, AP has called the race, but their percentages, Balduke, Balduke is at 37, Morse is at 35.8. So that ended up being quite tight. But yeah, I totally agree with you on the special election. And also why I think it's important to kind of keep an eye on Biden's favorability ratings, because I do think there's, even if you know, where he's at now, I don't think people would 
Democrats would like throw a parade about, you know, he's still not great, but there's been quite a lift from where he was. And I think that's important because there is a threshold where I think people can kind of run ahead of him and, and it'll be okay. And he's not really on the ticket himself, whatever. But I think there's a level where it's hard, even if you're a really good Democratic candidate to kind of, you know, whatever the opposite of coattails are to get away from that drag. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's funny right now uh, on Nate Silver's site, it has the average as, as 42.4 by, by, by really most standards. That is not great. That is not a great by any means of imagination. Um, it has gone up like five or six points over the last seven, six, seven weeks, which is a dramatic rise very quickly. Um, my sense was is that he would keep rising dramatically till about 45. It seems like he's kind of at least plateaued a bit for now, a little over, you know, between 42 and 43. I think the big thing there is Democrats, you've got a lot of Democrats just pissed at him for not getting the job done. And they're flocking back because they were never against him as a Democrat. They just didn't think he was, you know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't delivering. I do think, you know, in, in these things become very meta and kind of semantic, but it's not just the number we see there. You know, now if you're, let's assume for the sake of conversation, which I broadly do, that that is a, that is an accurate measure of the national public's sense of him. Even if he is unpopular by that metric, if you are running for office, you can say, hey, are gas prices going down or are they going up? And everybody's going to say they're going down. I mean, at a, you know, at a partisan, at a friendly thing, because they are going down. They've gone down a lot. And, and it's quickly. And they seem to be continuing going down. And you say, did Joe Biden deliver the uh, inflation, redu- you know, ridiculously named Inflation Reduction Act? Yes, he did. So, it's not, it's not just his popularity. It's that a number of things have happened, some entirely in his control, some partially in his control, or he was just there, that has given people some, you know, giving, given Democrats some footing saying, we're going in the right direction. You know, you see like the, the, the dark Brandon memes, right? <laughs> that people, you think about how, um, how comical. I mean, Dark Brandon was something different three months ago, but how, com- you know, you, you just didn't have any, anybody saying at the beginning of the summer, like, oh, he put the Biden magic on you and you are smoked. Sorry. Right. It just, it just, it just puts a little kind of skip in people's step. And it's hard if you're running. Um, and they were doing surprisingly well when he was just totally in the toilet, but it, it's, it's hard when, the per, you know the kind of the the leader of your party is just is just kind of flatlining. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. kind of bums everybody out. Yeah, we want to do a couple of questions, but just to round off this section, you know, Don Balduke did win the primary. We talked about this briefly on another pod, but you know that was a really clear cut case of kind of this conspiratorial wingnut versus the sedate slash boring establishment pick that was kind of boosted with this infusion of last minute panic money of like $4 million to kind of like try to get him to win from a person who's, who's connected to Mitch McConnell, but didn't work. Trump ended up endorsing no one, which is like pretty interesting, I think. <laughs> kind of sad for Baltuk. <laughs> yeah, I know. What he do you have to do? so badly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So now he won that 
honestly, this campaign has have got to be just like a sigh of relief after sigh of relief for the Hassan com- Hassan campaign because first it was Sununu is not going to run. Whew, you know, now she uh, will probably win. And then it's like now you're going up against a guy who is running on abolishing the 17th Amendment like score. OK, that one seems a bit more you know, a bit more in hand for the Democrats than it could have been if some things had gone differently. Right. Now, is is there, um, I, I guess the idea is that the other guy, the guy that Balduc beat, mm-hmm. that Ward. he's a, yeah, a fairly normal guy, just that he doesn't really have a brand. He's not, you know, he, he doesn't, he, Sununu, obviously, like, you know, the family is just entitled in that state to, to own every office and they're super popular and all that kind of stuff. So unobjectionable, but just not someone who brought any star power, but not someone who's going to like, you know, you're going to, I don't know you know, find out that they're Q or something like that. Right. I mean, he did, you know, he did like some MAGA dabbling. He talked a lot about the border, which I think is kind of funny to be fixated on the Southern border when you're (laughs) running to represent New Hampshire. But um, yeah, just kind of low energy, right? He's just like a a state lawmaker who's kind of sedate. And there was just this one quote he gave to the Washington Post where he was talking about he had had a phone call with Trump and Trump had asked him some questions and, and Chuck Morris was just like, yeah, you know, he's got some strong opinions and it's like, (laughs) yeah, Chuck, he does. That's, that's right. Just classic kind of low energy understatement, you know? So I guess the idea is with this bald guy, like, like she couldn't ask for better. A kind of a, a, a brandless nutcase. Like if she can't beat him, like she can't beat anybody, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's move to our questions. Our first is from Zach, which kind of loops back on our polling section. He says, do most slash all polls correct their polling models based on their past performance? And if so, doesn't that make comparisons of polling bias from previous election from previous years fraught because the current polling has already corrected for the previous bias? Not really. Um, It's very complicated. Uh, After every cycle, um, pollsters, they analyze, they maybe, you know, work on their model, they adjust and, and whatever. And certainly after 2016, when there was a big miss in general, there was a lot of uh, both soul searching and, uh, you know, there are various um, academic and, 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 and professional groups of pollsters that like, you know, do symposiums and what, did, what went wrong and stuff like this. But the thing is, is that if your poll is three points off, you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to add three points next time, and then I'll be on the mark. Well, you, you, first of all, you can't do that since obviously you have no idea why your poll was three points off. It's highly likely just to be random chance that it was three points off. That's the first thing. The second thing is, since pollsters, the good pollsters, take what they do seriously, you have to, you have to do an analysis and say, ah, okay, The issue is that we didn't wait for education. And because of this thing about the um, changing electorate, education is now very salient. So whereas we used to, um, you know, wait by uh, gender and marital status, now we have to add education. So we're going to change that. So, you know, you actually have a theory based on some evidence that leads you to do something. 
you can't just say like, oh, I keep being three points off. I'm just going to change it three points next time. That's just not how they do things. And I think that uh, in Nate Cohen, the guy who the, the, the Nate from the New York Times had this piece that he referenced that the um, the sort of the polling professional organization did one of these sort of retrospective postmortems after 2020. And what he said in that article was that the the upshot was basically they were not able to they were not able to find a reason why they were off. Um, ergo, you. I, you kind of can't do anything, at least as a, you know, as a as a as a profession. I mean, any pollster can do whatever they want. Um, and his point there was, ergo, so they're just going to repeat the same flaws that they did last time. You can't exactly assume that. Um, but I guess the point is that um, pollsters have ha- have done a significant amount in the last few cycles to adjust for what seems to be a changing electorate. And I think most of that is uh, waiting for education in ways that they did not do before, Um, possibly being a little more sensitive to non-response bias. When one side gets terrible news, they're bummed and they're just not answering the phone. So you can get a big jump for the other side. That isn't really anybody's opinions changing. It's just some people were too bummed to answer the phone. So, so they have done that. And I think one of the kind of the wake up calls in 2020 was like, wow, we thought we'd, we thought we'd nailed this. And, and, but something similar happened. Now, was that, was that random chance? Was it just all the weirdness tied to the pandemic? Um, we just, we don't know. But I think the, the, the general thing is, it's not as easy to adjust as it might seem. So you can't, necessarily assume that last time is irrelevant because they've already adjusted for it. A recurring question I have about this that I have seen addressed nowhere is like, who's picking up phone calls for random numbers at this stage in the game? Like we don't live in a landline world anymore. And I don't know about you guys, but the number of spam calls I get a day is astronomical. (laughs) So I wonder how that stuff is playing in. Well, I at least, I at least know that they don't get identified as spam calls, you know, like in, in uh, right. my phone, at least I get, it says spam risk, right? So, okay, obviously not going to answer that. Um, this has been a growing issue for forever. And, uh, I got pulled, I think once last cycle or something like that, but it, but it is also, I mean, look until I think until about 10 years ago, it was only landline, not even just phone landline. You know, my wife and I, we don't even have a landline anymore. I mean, I know a lot of young people haven't had one, maybe never have had one, but that was a sort of a big thing for us getting rid of our landline. Um, Non-response is a huge issue, but no pollster these days is doing only phones. They do texts, they do computer stuff, they do all sorts of stuff. And, and, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's probably, it's, it's funny that it's not, the issue is not that there's been these misses they can't be perfect. It's that there's been misses in one direction. That's the issue. Um, and it's a real issue. And, and, um, you can't just assume it'll be identical. Um, but 
when these people say this, this isn't just kind of like, you know, saying Democrats are in disarray. It's there's some reality there that that if you if you're a Democrat and you want Democrats to do well, you should feel a little a little haunted by that. Not demoralized, but like, you know, they may the, the polls may be you may want to be a good two or three points ahead to have much confidence. Maybe it'll be different. Who knows? It was the funniest thing. Like a, a year or two ago, my very sweet boyfriend got called by a pollster, but was like about to head into a work meeting. He was like, I got to go, but can I call you back? Like, I really want to participate because he wanted to like do his civic duty. And I'm sure the pollster was like, wow, this is the first time today I haven't gotten like yelled at for calling people. You know, may, maybe, maybe it was also in, in that, in that Nate Cohen piece, but I actually saw that, that, that there was, he's, I think he said, maybe I'm thinking of a different article. I think he said that there were some pollsters that were down waiting, eager Democrats, <laughs> you know, basically like your boyfriend. Right. Of people who say like, yes, let me let me clear my schedule. I'm at dinner, but I'm just going to I'm going to tell them to eat on their own because I want to tell you how awesome Joe Biden is. Right? Like, no, get out yeah, of my pool. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, it, it is funny because the heart of Trumpism really is about low trust, low trust in civic institutions, um, a sense of grievance. So it is interesting how and now that overlaps with education levels, but you can kind of it it is intuitive in a sense if you think about the sort of the stereotypical trumper when he gets a call from a pollster, you're not thinking like, "Ah, public opinion science. Yes, let me participate in this communal activity to know what we as a community think." No, of course not. Everything about the sort of the Trump mentality goes in the opposite direction. So it's not surprising that there would be, you know, that this would that this would be an issue. Right. Okay. So our last question is from Doug, uh, who wants to know, say November brings the Senate to the Dems and the House barely to the Republicans. Then presumably legislation to codify Roe and the John Lewis Voting Act would be dead for two years in the new session, yet there would still be almost two months of the current session left. Would the prospect of two years of crazy enough Republican House proposals be enough to get Cinema and Mansion to finally break the filibuster for those two huge legislative priorities? I, I think the answer is just no. I, I can't imagine. Um, I, th I unfortunately, I think the answer is just no. I, I you know, who knows? Maybe. I mean, hopefully, I, I can't imagine what would what would change. Um, it's also like it also kind of depends like if it if if the result is one where you say wow you know they still lost the house but democrats what a comeback greatest comeback ever then maybe it is you know half a percent versus no percent right <laughs> but politicians for whatever reason are very like if the democrats get demolished there's no way that those two are going to be like, yep, no more filibuster. Let's 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 get down to business here. That's just not that's not how anybody works. I, I think I think the answer is no. I mean, I yeah, no. I think that if those two pieces of legislation in particular were actually important to these two senators, then they would have already passed. You know, I don't think the, the prospect of a Republican takeover in Congress is not one that is foreign to them. And I don't think having the specter of that looming closer would kind of 
change their priorities because those would be the actions of someone who either A, took those issues very seriously or B, um, the future of the party was very important to them. And I just don't think that either of those are true for either of these senators. So I don't I don't think the prospect of a Republican takeover is maybe even one that they are super concerned about. I mean, maybe to the degree that it makes them a little less important, but I'm sure they'll just start kind of you know, hobnobbing with the Republicans to to present themselves as well. Maybe we're the crossover votes when you guys get the House. You know, so yep. I don't I don't see any situation where these two kind of change their stripes at this point in the game. I completely agree, and I think the only time something like that would have happened would have been like in the month after the mini BBB passed, because suddenly everybody's everybody's excited, everybody's friends again. Look what we can do. Elections have consequences. That was the time where you'd kind of say, like, you know what? Let's let's do it. Um, but it didn't happen, so it's 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 not gonna happen. Womp womp. Womp womp. Seriously, seriously womping. I'm even self-womping, which is like against my religion. <laughs> uh so anyway, uh, I guess that's about it for us for this week. Remember that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get twenty-five percent off if you use the promo code TPM. And that is that's it. All right. See you next week. Later. The Josh Marshall podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader